Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. Someone once said that one would go mad if one took the Bible seriously. But to take the Bible seriously, one must already be mad. Comments like these are often made by those who read difficult to understand verses and question why they're included in the Bible at all. Yet when you enter the phrase, what does the Bible say about on Google, you get about 921 million different search options to choose from. So how do we reconcile this interest we have in learning from the Bible with some of the harder to understand passages in it? That's what we explore in our current series, Say What? How Not to Read Your Bible. So let's dig deeper and continue the upward journey. We're in week four of the series called Say What? We're asking that question, Say What? Thank you so much for your great feedback on this series. I'm glad so many of you are enjoying this. If you're enjoying this series, uh, there's only one more week left. So sorry about that. If you've hated this series the whole time, there's only one more week left and you're going to be okay. We're moving on. But uh, this has been an unusual series. We've tried to address some accusations against the scriptures about things it never said and uh, things it never intended to convey that people throw at the scriptures. And in the meantime, we've been confronting some very real issues in our society today. So I'm excited about it. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about slavery. Now, you may say, why in the world, Pastor, do we want to take up a Sunday morning to talk about slavery? What's so important about that? Well, there's several reasons that we need to talk about that in 2021. Number one, slavery is still flourishing in the world today. The stats show, and I think they're probably under a little bit of what they really are. The stats are showing there's about 40 million people all around the world today that are still enslaved. And I imagine there's some more. Most of them are in the sexual trafficking and the human trafficking. That's the term we use for it today. Over 40 million people today are in slavery around the world today. And we should not be complacent about that or passive about that. The church should lead the way in setting people free in all kinds of ways. Amen. That's the truth. We as a church need to be doing that. Uh, the sad part of the statistic is, is a couple of sad things, that out of 40 million people in slavery, uh, 71% of them are female. And this is uh, especially heartbreaking. Over 25% of them are children that are enslaved today. And that's a tragedy that we must speak to as a church, we must speak to as a society. The other reason, a couple other reasons why we're talking about slavery is we're dealing with so much racial strife in our nation today. So much uh, hatred between races and so many people stirring that racial strife between us and trying to get us to hate each other. And uh, we're really dealing with that in our nation today. And a lot of it has its roots in a terrible chapter in United States history when we Uh, when we participated in chattel slavery, uh, kidnapping uh, people from Africa, taking them from their homes and bringing them here and treating them like property. And it was a terrible stain on our history and one from which we've never completely recovered. So we want to hear what the Bible says about it. The third uh, reason is that many people accuse the Bible of being pro-slavery. They say that the Bible is in favor of slavery, uh, they, they read verses, and, and what I've tried to teach you in this series is not to take verses and pluck them up out of context and make them say something by themselves. You have to read Scripture in light of other Scripture to interpret it properly. The Bible is a whole. It's a progressive revelation from start to finish. But you have to let the Bible interpret the Bible. I always tell people, read everything you read in the Bible through the lens of Jesus Christ. He is the final Word. He is God's living Word, and everything should be th- read 
through that lens. But they read verses like this. Are you ready for your say what verse of the week? Exodus 21.7 says, When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she will not be freed at the end of six years as the men are. Say what? Do you mean the Bible actually approves of a man selling his daughter as a slave? Does the Bible approve of slavery? Now, one of the problems and another reason we're addressing it is this, is that preachers in the 1860s and before, but mainly during the Civil War, there were preachers, and I'm sorry to say this, we should say this with sadness, we should say this with a broken heart, but... In many years during the Civil War, there were preachers all over, north and south, all over the United States of America that used the Bible to justify American slavery. And it was an absolute abuse of the Scripture. It was a twisting of the Scripture. It was picking a verse here completely out of context to justify a terribly cruel, inhumane, and godless institution that was in our nation. And that needs to be addressed. We need to straighten that out. We need to thunder from pulpits today the truth of God's Word to counter what some people did and the damage they did, even pastors. I'm ashamed that a pastor would do that. There's a historian, though, that found that there were no less than 275 high-level pro-slavery clergymen in the United States. He has a list of 275 north and south from every state in the Union. Here's shocking statistic that of those men who were violently pro-slavery, 16% of them held the highest possible offices in their church. So this was not just a pastor of a small country church like me. These were denominational leaders. These were leaders, 275 of them across our nation, that stood in favor of American chattel slavery. When we say chattel, we mean property. American slavery that treated Africans like property that could be bought and sold. It was tragic. It was cruel. It was inhumane, and it was wrong, and the Bible opposes that completely. So in the middle of this sermon today, I'm going to give you the message that should have been coming from pulpits in the United States of America, 1860 before and 1865. Here's the kind of scriptures they used. I'm going to give you another say what scripture. Ephesians 6.5 says this, Slaves, Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. They pulled that verse out, took it out of its context, took it out of its biblical surrounding, and said, you who've been kidnapped from your nation, been torn away from your family, ripped away from your wife and children, and forced to serve someone else with no pay, to be beaten to be treated like an animal, according to the Bible, you should just submit to that and let that be a part of your life. You should just submit to that because that's the godly thing to do. Nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to hear me on this today and hear me in an unqualified voice. The Bible totally condemns American chattel slavery. The Bible completely and totally condemns the institution of slavery that was a part of our national history for many, many years. They figure that uh, slavery started in the United States about 1619, 
and it finally was banned in 1865 with the 13th Amendment. So slavery lasted in our nation about 246 years. In the 1860 census, there were 3.9 million people who were counted as slaves in our nation. The Bible totally condemns this practice in no unqualified terms. And it starts condemning it on page one. From the very beginning, the Bible condemns slavery. Here's what God says, Genesis 1.27. We've used this verse already in the Say What series, but here it is again. So God created human beings. It didn't say white people. God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. In slavery days in our nation, an African was considered to be three-fifths of a man. When they tallied a state population to determine the electoral votes that would be cast for president, they counted slaves as three-fifths. But the Bible says that's absolutely untrue, that every human being, look around you, you see anybody that's a different race or a different color from you? They're created in God's image. Now, if we're going to judge people by their skin color, we need to break it down even further. Some of you out here, you take white to a whole new level. When we see you at the beach, we need sunglasses. If we're going to judge by color, let's just go by all shades. I've been out in the sun the last two weekends, so I'm a darker shade than normal. Did that knock me over into another category? My brother-in-law, Jimmy, if you know Jimmy, Jimmy is as white as the driven snow. My wife's darker than I am. She's from Honduras, if you don't know that. My wife's darker than me. She's got a brother that's much lighter than me. Figure all that out. When we judge by skin color, we're just showing how ignorant we are. People that judge a race by the color of the skin is just showing, they're just showing ignorance. And the Bible says it's wrong because we're all created in the image of God. Now let's move on. I'm preaching the sermon now that should have been preached Exodus 21, we're back in the chapter that they're using pro-slavery, but Exodus 21 says this, kidnappers must be put to death whether they are caught in possession of their victims or have already sold them as slaves. Slave traders, according to Old Testament law, would have been put to death if we'd followed that law, including the man that wrote Amazing Grace. You ever hear that hymn and think, oh, wow, some priest must have written that? Nope. A slave trader. Incidentally, those of you who don't like any new songs, that song came based on a song he'd heard in a bar. Let's study on that a little bit. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. John Newton realized where he'd come from. 
Let me just stop here and say that says something about our Jesus and about the grace of God, that he can take someone who would sell people as property and transform their life to repent and to turn around. God can turn you around. I don't care what you've been through, what you're going through, how far you feel, feel like you have fallen. God is able to turn your life around and set you back on course. Jesus has done it millions of times all over the world, and he can do that for you too. But understand, under Old Testament law, John Newton, as well as other slave traders, would have been put to death. Move on. Again, in Exodus 21, it says this, If a man hits his male or female slave in the eye, and the eye is blinded, he must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. In other words, if you inflict permanent damage beating a slave, you've got to turn them loose. You've got to set them free. If a man knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, he must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. have a picture here we want to show you of a slave that was beaten. This is from American actual slave whose back was striped uh, during the American Civil War. And that's a horrific picture to look at. And it's horrific to think that people would inflict those kinds of wounds on someone else, treating them as property. But I want you to hear this. According to the Old Testament, this man would have been set free because he was permanently injured. Do not tell me that the Bible that I read supports anything like that, because if you do, you've twisted it beyond anything imaginable. The Bible said this man would have been set free. Jeremiah 22, we go on through the Old Testament. Jeremiah 22 says this, 22:13. And the Lord says, what sorrow awaits Jehoiakim, who builds his palace with forced labor. He builds injustice into its walls, for he makes his neighbors work for nothing. He does not pay them for their labor. Jeremiah says that forced labor was cursed by God. You can go to plantations today, and I've seen them. You can see the bricks that were laid to build structures, and the children were making the bricks. And you can see in the building little bitty thumbprints of children. Jeremiah says they built injustice into the walls. When I walk through those places, I don't rejoice. Now, I'm a southerner. Did anybody notice that? Anybody notice that I'm southern? People tell me sometimes, you're going out over the internet, you need to clean up your accent a little bit. That's offensive. I was born in Wahlberg, North Carolina, and this is how we talk in Wahlberg. Now, I know you people here from Edneyville, you've, you've just higher social status than I was. You've Saluda and Polk County, y'all are just higher than I was. I'm from Wahlberg. We talk like this. I love being a Southerner. I was in a coaching class the other day, and I was last year, and it was with like 60 people from all over the world, all over the world. And we, we spent like a week or two weeks, I, it was a long time, we spent together at least a week, every day, all day for a week. And they asked people at the end of the class, what was your favorite part of the class? And a, uh, an Asian lady said, uh, my favorite part of this class is when Anthony talks. <laughs> And I wanted to believe it was because such wisdom was coming out of my mouth. But then she went on to say, I love that accent. And I proceeded to tell them that they all had accents. Right? Say all that to say this. I love being a Southerner. I love Southern heritage. But I don't love slavery. I hate it. It's one part of our heritage we must completely reject and say it's wrong. It was wrong. 
And anyone doing that today around the world is wrong. Cursed labor. 1 Timothy 1.10 says this, New Testament now, the law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, who do anything else that contradicts wholesome teaching. The New Testament was clear that slavery was banned by God. We should have known that. You ever read Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain? Great American novel. A kid named Huck Finn is passing through life and he, he befriends an escaped slave named Jim and he's actually a part through the story of helping Jim get away and helping Jim escape. But Huck's twisted conscience thinks that he's doing something wrong by helping Jim escape. And he has a twinge of, do you understand the twisting here? He's actually helping a guy get set free, but yet his culture is twisted as conscious. You know why slavery was allowed to exist in the United States and why churches were complicit in it? Because they didn't have the courage to bring the Word of God to bear on their culture. They let their culture dictate what they believed rather than letting God's Word speak through them. We might just, might just, might need a dose of that in our world today. We might just, might just, might need a little bit of courage. No, we do need a whole lot of courage to stay with God's Word in spite of the prevailing culture that is around us. Do you understand that? There were pastors that had wealthy slave owners in their churches and they were afraid to run off the wealthy slave owners with messages so they compromised what they believed and twisted the Scripture to accommodate their culture. Let me tell you something. We don't twist Jesus to fit our culture. We need to shake culture to fit Him. You with me? We need to follow Him. We need to let Him speak into our lives. Back to Huck Finn. His twisted conscience, he thinks he's breaking God's law by helping Jim escape. So finally his conscience gets the best of him and he begins to sit down and he writes a letter. He starts writing out a letter to Jim's former owner. I hate to even use that word. So wrong. Jim's former master, he says. He's writing a letter saying where you can find Jim because he wants to go to heaven. Huck wants to go to heaven, and he figures the way to go to heaven is to turn Jim in. Say, that's terrible. Absolutely, it's terrible, but it's an accurate picture of what was going on. So he looks at this letter, and he's about to go send the letter, and he looks over at Jim. And Huck begins to see that Jim's been one of his best friends, that Jim's been there for him. He begins to see that Jim is not three-fifths of a man, that Jim is a man. And he looks at the letter, and, and hear this through his twisted conscience. He said, he looked at the letter and he said, I have to choose heaven or hell. In his mind, he thinks, if I send this, I'll go to heaven. And in looking at Jim the human and looking at his letter, he just said, well... I'll go to hell. And he tears it. Amen. 
we understand that's heaven's will. Ernest Hemingway said that Huckleberry Finn was the beginning of American literature. Other people have said that that moment in Huck Finn was the moment that Christianity was brought to bear on slavery and race. Amen. Jesus is the solution to racial problems. Jesus is. It's people knowing him, letting him live within them, and one at a time, tearing down those racial walls. Amen? Amen? It's going to have to be us. It's going to have to be us. I don't see anybody else out there leading us in the right direction. I'm sorry, I should not have said that probably. But I don't see anyone leading us to true reconciliation. It seems like many people on both sides who just want power get power by inflaming us against each other. Both sides. And I'm tired of being stirred up so other people can control me. I want to be a part of a solution. Don't you? I want to be a part of an answer. I want to right some wrongs. I want to love some people. And serve some people with the true heart of Jesus Christ. Now, what was my first point? <laughs> the Bible condemns completely American chattel slavery. Secondly, see this, and i got to hurry. The Bible, the Bible motivated the anti-slavery movement. I'm really excited to say that not every pulpit was complicit. Just like today in the United States, not every pulpit is bowing to the whims of culture. Now some pull, oh, I can't say that. It's so easy for you to say. I'm the one going on the internet here. There are some guys in pulpits that are just jerks with the Bible. <laughs> you made me say it. Just because somebody's angry about something and has a viewpoint does not mean they have Jesus. I've seen some recently of, of pastors, so-called pastors, who are just angry. And even some of them, I agree with where they stand on some of the issues. But spewing anger does not solve the problem. Manifesting Jesus solves the problem. One life at a time. i got to move on. The Bible motivated the anti-slavery movement. The Bible was behind. Christians were behind. You can't say the Bible's pro-slavery because the Bible actually motivated the overturning of slavery in Great Britain and in the United States. And it was Christian praying godly people who read their Bibles who stood up to overturn it. Do you know that slaves in the United States were, were kept uneducated so they couldn't read because their owners were afraid they would read what? The Bible. That's the one book they would have gone to first. And their owners were sure that if they read the Bible, certain passages in that Bible would let them know that they were truly free in fact, in the Bible Museum, there's a museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. I haven't been there yet, but I'm going to go one day and see this. 
There is a slave Bible. It was actually published, and slave owners published this Bible for the slaves that could read as a concession to them. But guess what they did? They cut out huge portions of the Bible. I read somewhere that the entire book of Exodus is gone. Why would they cut out Exodus? Because the children of Israel were in slavery, and God said, let my people go. They didn't want a slave reading that verse. They actually cut out. They said huge chunks of the Bible are taken out of the slave Bible, and they gave them a Bible that every verse that opposed slavery was cut out. The Bible motivated fiery abolitionist preachers. John Wesley was a strong abolitionist. Charles Finney was a powerful abolitionist preacher. Henry Ward Beecher stood up against slavery. In fact, before he died, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, anybody been in the Methodist Church? Our denomination actually comes out of the Methodist Church. John Wesley encouraged Wilberforce in Great Britain to fight against slavery. Before Wesley died, he wrote to Wilberforce and encouraged him to stand in the fight. And Wilberforce, before he died, saw slavery overturned in Great Britain. And then again in 1865 with the 13th Amendment, our nation finally did the right thing with slavery and banned it from our nation forever. And that was a great day in our nation's history. If you haven't seen the movie Lincoln, watch that. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful movie about that very thing. Now I want you to understand, so pastor, what does it mean when the Bible says slaves submit to your masters? What does it mean when it says if a man sell his daughter into slavery? i got five minutes to cover that, and I might go over just a little bit, so you'll be okay, right? When I say amen, get in your car and get out of this parking lot fast, so no, nah, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Here's, here's what I want to tell you about the Bible's conception of slavery. The Bible limited and regulated a very different type of service that existed in biblical days. Now, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the words slave and servant are very easily interchanged. And sometimes when you read the word slave in the Bible, the better translation would be servant. In the Old Testament, you had a thing known as bondservant. The New Testament, when it speaks of slavery, often speaks to Greco-Roman slavery, which was an institution that existed in those days. As difficult as it is for us to imagine, it existed and it did serve a purpose, a very tragic purpose. But it wasn't the same thing as American chattel slavery. When we hear slavery in America, we think 1860, 1865. We think of civil war. We think of kidnapping people from their lands and bringing them here and forcing them to work for no money. That is not the kind of slavery. Now, not to say that didn't ever exist in biblical days, but that is not the kind of slavery that the Bible addresses here. And when you hear those verses, you have to ask yourself, remember again, You've got to interpret the Bible in light of what the original audience heard. Not what you reinterpret according to your 21st century mind. Here's the difference in slavery. You see, in their day, there was absolutely no safety net. There was no government economic safety net. If you were starving, you could not apply for any government assistance. The church handled it. Can we just vote today to go back to that? Amen. The church needs to be a part. Amen? Amen? Oh, I could just go into all kinds of things today, but I think the church would do a better job of taking care of the poor than anybody else, don't you? I think Jesus' people could do a better job. We do a pretty good job at it. want to do a good job. We could do a better job. 
In the, in the New Testament, that's what happened. They served people. They loved people. Nobody had need because everybody that had shared with those who didn't. Hey, preacher, that sounds like communism. It wasn't forced. It came from a heart of Jesus that just said, if I have something and you need it, you got it. Amen. It's not about hoarding toilet paper. Go get as much as we can. You know what we do? You know how to solve that kind of stuff? I told my neighbor, we're in the middle of the toilet paper crisis. Remember the toilet paper crisis? It's one of those 2020 crises we had was the toilet paper crisis. I found a big old block of it at Sam's. I felt like I just robbed Fort Knox. You know, I'm walking out with a big old thing of toilet paper, and I'm like, better have a pistol on me because somebody's going to knock me out. You know, I'm going to die. I was bringing it to my house. I felt ashamed. But we actually needed some. My neighbor called out from across the street and said, look at that, that toilet paper you got. And I said this because Jesus motivated, and I meant this, and I still mean it. I said, are you running out? He said, man, we're kind of low. I said, as long as I've got some, you've got some. If I've got a roll left, you do too. Can we just live that way in this country? If I've got it and you don't, come get it. I'll share it with you. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's his heart. You just need to let Jesus come out in this nation like never. And in fact, I believe that's what's going to happen. I believe Jesus is going to move in the United States of America. People are hungry right now. People tell me, why are all the people coming to church? Well, you're just packing in here like crazy. Our attendance has been better in July than it was in March, which is weird. Don't you people realize you're supposed to be staying at home? I told somebody yesterday, I said, people want to come to a place where they can hear something true, where they can be around people that are moving towards Jesus. Amen? I don't have time, and I'm preaching another message here this morning. Here's the difference. There was no safety net in those days, and if you were broke, you essentially would starve. So here's what happened. If a person was on the point of starvation and could not pay their debts off, and they were about to lose their life, they had the option, and it was an economic arrangement that they could sell themselves to another person to serve them until their debt was paid off. Here's the difference in American slavery and Greco-Roman slavery. It was voluntary. It was an economic arrangement. It was temporary. It's not to say that slavery, forced slavery, didn't exist in the world, but this particular type of slavery, that was the predominant slavery in the day, it was temporary. You worked off your debt. You actually did get paid for it because you were released from debt at the end of your service. Your children were not subject to slavery. And it had absolutely nothing to do with race. It was not a racial thing at all. It was people who were suffering, who sold themselves in order to pay off their debt. You know, the slaves were often well-educated people. You could have a doctor or a lawyer as a slave. A person could sell themselves to you as your own personal physician if they were in economic hardship. So when you hear slavery, when you hear father selling his daughter into slavery, 
The Bible does not say, oh, that's a good thing. That father had reached the end of his rope, and that girl was going to starve to death if he didn't do something. Understand, that's what motivated that. It wasn't just a desire to make money. God prohibited that type of thing. But as an economic safety net, she could be sold into slavery so she would be taken care of. You know what the Bible does, though? It regulated that, and it limited it. It said, you cannot sell anyone for sexual purposes. It banned prostitution. Because selling someone for those purposes leads to inhuman cruelty and destruction. And God limited it and regulated it. And said, it's a sad situation when someone has to go through this, but here are the boundaries under which it must operate. When Paul said, slaves, submit to your masters, he didn't say, let them beat you, let them mistreat you. He's saying, treat people as you want to be treated. When you go on the job, do a good job. I could say that to every employee that works somewhere. You're still out there, right? By this working and serving, do it with excellence. Now, here's the last part of this message, and it's the best, and I'm two and a half minutes over. We'll be all right, won't we? Last point, Jesus destroyed racism of all kinds. Here's what Galatians 3.28 says. Paul wrote this, and this is astounding for Paul because Paul was a really good Jew. He was a Pharisee. He's on the dream team. He got an education from Gamaliel, who was the most esteemed rabbi of his day. Paul was being groomed for leadership in Judaism. Paul might have been president of the Jews one day. Didn't exactly exist that way, but. Paul said this, Galatians 3.28. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. What? Understand, Paul was still, in many respects, a practicing Jew. But he tore up religious division. No more Pentecostals and Baptists. Right? No more divided Presbyterians and Lutherans. Then he said this, no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer slave or free. Male and female. Is Paul saying there we should forget about sex? No. He's saying we don't exercise hierarchies over people based on their religion, based on their economic status, or based on their gender. What does he say? You are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one in Christ Jesus. I'm telling upward today, you're all one in Christ Jesus. There's a little book in the New Testament called Philemon. And Paul wrote the book of Philemon. If you want to read a book of the Bible and brag on people how you read one book of the Bible every day, start with Philemon. It takes you about five minutes. You want to feel really satisfied before you go to bed and you've read one book, Philemon's one of your books. Third John fits right in there too. You read two before you go to sleep right there. Philemon's written by Paul to a friend of his named Philemon. Philemon has a slave named Onesimus. And Paul was acquainted with Onesimus. They're in a, in a different region. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He'd made an economic agreement with Philemon to serve him. Onesimus runs away, and he meets Paul. And Paul loves him. 
Paul likely brings him to Christ. Onesimus by this time has become a Christian. And Onesimus is thinking, listen, I've broken my word over here. There's a deal I made that's wrong. I've left something between me and Philemon that's not settled. And he goes to Paul and says, Paul, what do I do? Paul said, what is it? He said, well, I work for this guy. He said, what's his name, Philemon? Paul said, oh, he's a buddy of mine. I'm going to send a letter back to him. And I'm going to tell him how to treat you. Now, I love this because Paul said, go back. Go back and straighten out what you agreed to. If you've got a contract with this guy and you're working off a debt here, then go back. He didn't say, go back and get beat. He said, go back. Make it right. But he wrote a letter to Philemon, and this is what he said. Verse 16. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave. He's a beloved brother especially to me. Now he'll mean much more to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. That he used to be your servant, Philemon, now he's your brother. There used to be a hierarchy, now there's not. You have an agreement together, but you're family now. So he said in verse 17, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Don't you love that? He's your friend, he's my friend, so you and he have to be friends now. I love that. Whole deal is we just got to treat each other like family. Amen. I was in a grocery store the other day and an African-American man came up and started talking to me and we started talking with each other. We were just looking at eggs. Y'all check your eggs at the grocery store. Anybody other than me, open them up, make sure you don't have cracked eggs. So I'm checking for cracked eggs and he is too. We've already got something in common. He starts talking to me. I start talking to him. We strike up a conversation. There's no black and white. I mean, there is. I know what color he is. He knows I'm lighter than he is. Right? I mean, we're not stupid. People with different skin colors come from different cultures a lot of times, right? And that's okay. We don't even want to talk about... I'm just going over, Matt. Keep playing. Set me some background music. We don't even want to talk about that anymore like it's offensive to acknowledge someone's from another culture. It's not offensive. It's common sense. The good thing about it is their culture brings something that I'm lacking and I bring something they're lacking and together we can get a handle on things. We need other cultures. So we're standing there in the grocery store just talking. We just talked a couple minutes, and I walked away, and I thought, I didn't see black or white. It's my fellow human being. If he knows Jesus, he's my brother in the Lord. Amen? Jesus will cause that stuff to go away. We got to be intentional. Amen? Amen? Intentional. Amen? Most of us in this room are white, right? Most of us are. Let's take the lead. That's not a political statement. I mean, you're like, oh. Lay down your weapons. Lay down your defensiveness. Lay down all your defenses. Let's take the lead in loving people. Let's reach out and serve people. 
Let's, people, let's let people know that all this talk of racism that's getting stirred up every day is not in our hearts, and it's not in Jesus' heart. Amen? Amen. I got to quit. I'm just having far too much fun up here today. But I'm going to give you one more verse because I can't quit without this one. This is the landing zone right here. Paul said to Philemon, he said, if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul said, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. As I read that in preparation for this message, I thought, you know, that's exactly what Jesus did when he hung on the cross. He said, Father, you see all these folks? Charge it to me. Charge it to me. And on the cross, he paid a sin debt that you and I owed. Oh, I've done some stupid things. I've done some sinful things. I've done some things I'm ashamed of, and you have too. Jesus on the cross said, charge it to me. Why are you still paying for it? Why are you still carrying the bill in your pocket? Why are you still worrying about it? Jesus said, paid in full. Paid in full. And that can be true for you right now before you leave this building today. Amen. 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 Stand to your feet, please. Stand to your feet. If you don't stand up, I'm never going to quit today. I'm going to go on until Monday afternoon. Uh, Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Jesus, love you. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our hearts, in our midst, in our world. Thank you, Jesus, that this country and this world is held up by you, and you're still doing a good work in it. Despite all the chaos we see around us, Jesus, you're still doing something good, and we're thankful for that today. We're thankful that our lives are in your hands. We're thankful that our sin debt is paid in full by you. And I ask you today, Jesus, may someone else be free today as they surrender that to you. Anybody here, heads bowed and eyes closed, anybody here has a sin debt right now? You feel the weight of it. You're still paying the bills for what you did wrong. And you just want to say, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you today as my Lord and my Savior. I want my account to be paid in full by you. Anybody just lift a hand? Nobody's going to embarrass you. Would you just lift a hand and say, that's me today. I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. Saying yes to you right now, Jesus. Thank you so much. I see hands across the building. Jesus, my sin debt is paid online. Right now, pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for loving me, for dying for me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. I surrender my life to you. As you pray that, out of your heart, you're talking to Jesus, and he's hearing you. And trust me, you ask him, he will do it. He will do it. Ready to be blessed today? I got a good one today. You ready for this? Lift your hands if you want to be blessed this morning. Uh, God spoke to my heart as I was praying for you this week. He said there are many of you that have been going through a spiritual warfare, a season of warfare season that you've been fighting, wondering if you would survive. Sometimes you wondered if you, your organization, your job, your family was going to make it. God says you will. You've passed through this. And God's putting an end to the warfare, not the warfare around you, because that's going to go on. But He's putting an end to the warfare within you. The warfare inside, God's calling for an end to. And here's how it's going to happen. He spoke this to me clearly. He said this to me, and he's asked me to pass this on to you. Upward, God doesn't need your willpower. He needs your surrender. He doesn't need you to fight. He needs you to give this to him. 
not your fight. It's His. So today, I bless you with sweet surrender of everything you're struggling with. Jesus, I just give this to you. I can't beat this. I can't win this. But I give it to you. Friends, as you surrender that to Him, He's fighting for you right now. The warfare inside of you is going to stop. And while the war rages around you, you're going to be like an oasis. Peace, stability, and strength, and faith, and hope to a world that needs it desperately. It's a blessing for you today. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit with the peace of God, with a settled heart, a surrendered heart. Take Jesus out into your world that desperately needs it. Amen. Amen. It's been great. Love y'all. Thank you so much for hanging with me today. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.